0: Like to start out with a joke or two, to that's to waken up those that fell asleep during the singing, during the preliminaries. But there's this story of this baseball player. I had told this before, I think, at the men's breakfast, and I was asked, "Wouldn't well, I do it again today?" There's this two baseball players got together, and they were talking and. The one said to the other, they made a promise to each other that whoever would get to heaven first would somehow let them know as to whether they play baseball in heaven. Well, the one guy died and somehow he contacted the, the survivor and he said to him, yes, he said, there's baseball in heaven. That's the good news I have to tell you today. Yes, baseball in heaven. He said, now for the bad news, he said, you're supposed to pitch on Thursday. <laughs> and then I have to tell a preacher joke too today, I think. There was this new preacher. You know, I have a lot of those new preacher jokes. <laughs> These go around among pastors usually. And the, he was new in this church, a young fellow. And anyhow, he, uh, his first sermon lasted only eight minutes. And they thought, well, we need a little bit more than eight minutes, you know. I had a preacher friend that told me one time, if you can't say it in 20 minutes, you might as well not get up and try. But but anyway, this was only eight minutes this time. So the second Sunday, they, they overlooked it that first Sunday, the second Sunday he preached for 45 minutes. Uh, you know that, that I, I could hear from the response. That don't go over, don't go over here. <laughs> and then the third Sunday, he preached for two and a half hours. do not that make you feel at home? <laughs> There's somebody here that goes to, went to a church that preaches that long. But anyhow, so the board got together and they said, brother, we need to talk. They said, your first sermon after we brought you in as pastor was eight minutes. And he said, well, he said, I had problems that Sunday. He said, I had some teeth pulled. He said, when my mouth was really sore, he said, so he said, I cut it back pretty hard. Then they said, well, the next Sunday you preach for 45 minutes. He said, yeah, he said, I got my new dentures that week and he was able to preach for 45 minutes. Then he said, but then that third week, you preached for two and a half hours. And he said, I picked up my wife's dentures by mistake. <laughs> now for you men, if you like those jokes, you have to come out to men's breakfast next Saturday. <laughs> Morning, when we have the men's breakfast, because I always tell about nine ten jokes, I believe, every, at, at all those breakfasts. So uh, uh, I have a big good supply of them on hand. Today we're looking at the Book of Ruth. The real title to the message, and I've been there, but I was asked for it, I couldn't remember, but it, I called it all. It's all in God's plan. I oftentimes think that many Christians look at the book of Esther, which I just preached on the last time that I was up here, and they, they look at it and at the book of Ruth as just real nice stories, you know, that make you have a warm feeling when you, after you read them. But they don't really see the whole story in back of it, because it's all in God's plan. Now, this t- story takes place, the Book of Ruth takes place uh, back in the days when Moab and Israel were at peace with each other you know, because we know they had battled quite a bit in the Old Testament. It was also in the time when the judges were the rulers over Israel. And uh, the, whole, the whole book at the end shows that Ruth really became an Israelite by her actions and the, uh, the things she did, her conduct and her actions. The book is only four chapters long, and I think my wife read it last night in about 15 minutes. So uh, uh, I'd advise you to go home and read a little bit more this afternoon or sometime this week. And you're going to read the book of Ruth because it has many, many of the things in that I won't be able to touch on all today. The story starts out in the first chapter with a famine in the Ephraim, Bethlehem area. Uh, And Elimelech Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons, Malan and Kilian, they decided, well, they couldn't struggle through it anymore. And they heard over in Moab, there's plenty of. Of, of, of grain, there's plenty of food over there, there's no drought there, there's no famine at all, and that they would go over to Moab and reside over there until this famine ended over in the Bethlehem area. So they left, went over there, and they were there about 10 years, and in that 10 years that they were there, Elimelech died that was Neoma's husband and then the, the sons-in-law the uh, the sons rather not the sons-in-law who died uh, also died and they were both married to Moabite women and both both men were childless when they died so uh, Neoma was in a Real dither over there. No husband, no sons anymore. Her family, you know, just wiped out. And she heard that back in Bethlehem, that things were going real well again. That there were good crops coming in. There was plenty of food. There wasn't a famine anymore back there. And she decides, I'm going to go home to my friends, and relatives that she had left yet living in, there in Bethlehem. And they start out. And the two daughters-in-law go with, start out with her. They didn't get too far when Naomi decided to tell them that they should go back, marry Moabite men, have families, and be happy the rest of their life. She wished them all well. And both of them uh, decided that they were going to continue going with Neoma back to Bethlehem. But then Orpah, uh, she decides, no, she's going back. And Neoma gave her her blessing for being, she wanted to go back and be with her family and everything. So uh, it's only Ruth and Naomi now. and they head out because Ruth was stubborn in a way because she said uh, that she was going to return with her uh, to back to to uh, Bethlehem she said uh, where you go I will go your people will be my people and your god will be my god Now, that was quite a mouthful for a Moabite who believed that, if I remember correctly, in multiple gods. But she said, whatever your god is, is going to be my god. And they continued back. Scripture doesn't tell us how long it took them to go. But when I was in Israel, the two trips that I was able to make there in the past, I remember down from the, at the Dead Sea, you can see the hills of Moab across the Dead Sea from where our bus had stopped. And I know that from that area on back up to Bethlehem would have been quite a trek in that desert-like landscape that's around that. The whole trip would have been a through desert-like area. So anyhow they started back and when, when uh, they got close to Bethlehem word went ahead of them that Neoma was coming back and evidently Neoma was a very well liked person before she left and her friends came out to greet her and, and they hugged her and kissed her and, and all the things that you do when you see a long lost friend I mean, they they treated her wonderful, and she said, "No, no, no! Don't do this! Don't." She was depressed, and she said, "Don't do this." She said, "I am, you know, God has dealt terrible with me. I've lost my husband. I lost my sons." He said, "She said, call me Mara, which is a word in Hebrew, I think, for despair, because she was down. She." thought she would never be a happy person again. She went back there with an attitude. Sometimes we know people like that, that that they get down, they have some bad breaks in life, and they get real down in the dumps, and it's very hard to get them out of that attitude again. But anyhow, when they were there, Neoma was probably too old to work. I mean, to go out and work. But Ruth was young, and she decided to go out and be a gleaner. Now, if you read other places in the, in the Old Testament, it talks about gleaners at a couple of places, if I remember correctly. And it describes what it is. It's people that will go after the harvesters when they're cutting the grain and pick up the, the ones that fall out that don't get put into the sheaves, they, they, they fall out, they pick them up, and it, the Jewish a Jewish farmer was commanded not to clean the corners, to round out the corners when they had to, were going in there with the sickle or scythe, whatever they used, to cut down the grain. They were to leave those corners because that was for the poor. That they might come in and and, and glean. Well, Neoma went. I mean, Ruth went out and she started working uh, as a gleaner. Ruth came home a number of days after she had gone out there, and she had enough grain that uh, barley. It was the barley harvest at that time. She had enough grain that they could live another day. You know, they had food for another day, and. Uh, finally, uh, Nehemiah asked her. She said, "Whose fields are you gleaning in?" And Nehemiah said, "I'm gleaning in the field of a man called Boaz." Oh, you know, Nehemiah got excited because Boaz was in her family tree, in that her lineage through Amalek, her husband, he was in the family tree, and. So she thought this was a very good thing. And anyhow, she came home one day and had a little bit extra. And and Ruth said, don't you ever go into anybody else's fields but Boaz because he's a, a kinsman, as they called him. And she listened on her and kept going back. Well, Boaz had been away on a trip. And Boaz came home From that trip, and he saw this beautiful young chick out there with his (laughs) out there with his uh, girl uh, maid maid servants or female servants that were out there gleaning. They were uh, his servants full time, not just a gleaner, which went from usually went from field to field. And he saw her out in the field, and and. he asked the foreman or the head man that he had there, uh, taking care of the harvest while he was gone. He said, "Who is that? Who is that woman or that young lady over there?" You know, and they said, "Well, she she's a, a Moabitist widow, of Malon and they, he knew right away Malan was the son of Neroma And she, he said to Boaz, he said. She came back. Uh, Killian and Malan have died along with Elimelech up in in Moab. And she came back and she's been taking care of Neoma. Well, that sort of impressed him. Uh, You know, oftentimes in in modern dating, people will say, well, you know, if you want to know what a guy's like, you know, look how he treats his mother. (laughs) I've heard that one a number of times. And then the, before you pick them. Well, this was a case where how the a, a daughter-in-law and in our society today, that's not always good. <laughs> Daughters-in-law and mothers-in-law sometimes don't get along. But anyhow, it was, in this case, they got along real good. And he said, well, he said, if she is taking care of Neoma, I want you to take see to it that she's taken care of too and he said uh, when you're making up the sheaves let some extra stalks you know fall out of the sheaves so that's uh," and anyway she came home after the first night that 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 was going on and she had more grain than she had ever brought home before and she had it uh, well told Neoma and Neoma said gee why do you have so much then she said well she said that Boaz came back. The man that owns the field came back. And uh, she said, uh, he's been very nice to me. He's treated me real well. And uh, Neoma thought, well, here's the budding romance. Now, among Jewish people, even today, among the, the Orthodox Jewish people, they have what they call matchmakers. And Naomi became a matchmaker. I used to know the name for it, the Hebrew name for a matchmaker but I I can't remember it anymore. But anyway, she became a matchmaker. She said to Ruth, she said now you bathe yourself and perfume yourself real good. And then go outside, away from the threshing floor, but that you can see what's going on on the threshing floor. And then Boaz has had enough to eat and drink. He said, she said, you go in, where he lays down to sleep, and lift up the cover at his feet, and you crawl in under the cover at his feet. She did. Now, I don't know, maybe... Uh, Boaz had a restless night for some reason. But anyhow, something woke him up during the night. He knew something was going, you know. He wasn't alone, he knew that. And he found her there. And he said, oh, lay still, don't make noise. Don't let anybody know you're here, you know. He didn't want a scandal to be brewing uh, because after all, all she was doing was laying at his feet. And he didn't want any scandal brewing. So, uh, after that happened, uh, Boaz really wanted to marry Ruth. And uh, Naomi, as a matchmaker, had been a success in this. And when uh, when it came time for the to to redeem her, they called them. Kim, uh, I have to tell you a little more Jewish custom. When when a woman lost her husband, the eldest brother of his had to marry the widow, had to take the widow in and take care of her. And uh, they they had a line that this came through. If there were no brothers, Elimelech evidently didn't have any brothers left. Uh, and so it fell down to others. It was a, a distant elderly man that was first in line to be the kinsman redeemer. Redeemer. And uh, Boaz went into the ta- town that day, and uh, uh, Naomi, it's cute in the way she said She says, "Today is the day he's going he's to make things right. He's going to marry you." Uh, he, he told Ruth and. Uh, he said, "She said today he's going into the town, into town, and uh, he he did. He went in, and when he got there, uh, he got together ten elders. Now this shows that they were still on, Israel was under the judges, because that's how they did it. They got ten elders together." to to be judged and sit in judgment over what was going to happen over any transaction or anything like that and uh, they came uh, the ten men came and those of you that have been to Israel in some of the towns not all of them that I was at that are reconstructed they uh, outside the gate they have like a platform with a posts on the two corners built against the wall with a canopy over the top. And that's where the elders would sit when they were judging. It was a platform about as high as our platform is from the main floor up here. And that's where they would sit and listen to the cases. Well, Boaz went in. He got himself together ten elders. But oh, before he got the ten elders together... The, he was sitting at the gate waiting for the, the older kinsman redeemer the one that had preference over him that had first chance over him came by and he stopped him and then he got the ten elders to judge over it and uh, they uh, sat there and listened to it and uh, Boaz said to the elder he said you are the elder kinsman he said, Do you know that uh, Neoma came back with Malan's widow and she wants to get rid of her property and you have first chance to buy it? And uh, the guy said, Yeah, I'll, I'll buy it. I'll buy it. And then <laughs> Boaz said, reminded him, But you know if you buy the property, the two widows go visit. Neoma? And this young daughter-in-law, well, he must have been real, because he, he was worried about what was going to happen. He said, oh, I can't do it, I can't. He, at first he said he would, he would do it, and then he said, I can't do it. He said, uh, it might affect my estate. And he took off his sandals, and he handed them to Boaz, and Boaz took off his sandals, and handed them to the elderly uh, kinsman. This was a way of sealing. This was a, a, a rule among the Jews that when you made a deal, you, you exchanged sandals. And so the, he exchanged the sandals, and uh, it fell to Boaz that Boaz had the right to buy the property Take in Naomi, and he took Ruth in as his wife. Naomi was pleased. She just couldn't praise Boaz enough. She said, "He's honorable to the living and the dead. You know, he honored the dead by being the, as kinsman redeemer, but he also honored those that were still living." So we find going further on. Well, I'm going to do, read a few verses here to you out of the fourth chapter, uh, 9 to 12. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the proper, property of Amalek, Kilian, and Malan. I have also requ- acquired Ruth, a Moabitess, Malan's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. That was another big thing among Jewish people. If a man died and left the widow without a child, then whoever married the widow, the first child was not considered his, it was considered the dead husband's child. It was just Jewish tradition of that day. And then uh, the elders had said at the gate, all those at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephra and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord give you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamer bore Jew, to whom Tamer bore Judah. So we see uh, everything was done according to the Jewish way of doing things, and the Jewish way of doing things were the things that God told them how to do. They were instructions from the Almighty. When they found out that Naomi, I mean Ruth was pregnant, Nehemiah's friends were, oh, they were glad. They rejoiced with her. They said, Nehemiah now you're going to have a son after all. And when the baby was born, it says she laid him in her lap. And that meant that to the Jewish people, she accepted him as offspring of Malan, of, of her son. So Nehemiah's friends were glad for her and that she now had a family again and that uh, things were going this well so we see again I want to read a little of the story uh, starting at the 13th verse of the 4th chapter so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife then he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son the women said to Naomi, "Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given birth." So that is the story of basically of Ruth and Naomi. Now, this was all part of a plan God had. The plan being that when, we, uh, when, when this happened, that God was making a way for Jesus Christ. If you look over again, like I told you when I did the sermon on the book of Esther, if you look over again in Matthew, the first chapter, you will find that there are 14 generations between Abraham and David And then 14 generations from David's son Solomon to the exile in Babylon. And then 14 generations again until they returned from exile and Jesus was born. We see she was a forerunner uh, in the family tree of Jesus Christ. That was her purpose. A Moabitess. I mean, uh, a lot of people would have objected to it. It'd It'd be like some people still object to mixed marriages and it would have been something similar to that she was not of their tribe she was not of their their background but we see that what she did was help the line that brought Jesus Christ to us we all know that Jesus when he was here did all kind of good deeds but most important he bought salvation, full and free salvation for all of us. We started uh, on the 14th of this month, we started observing that what the church today calls Holy Week. We start with Palm Sunday, then we go to Maundy Thursday, followed back with Friday, and then Easter Sunday again. It was on Monday Thursday that the disciples and he celebrated the Passover. They were in the upper room, and Jesus had sent, if you remember the story, sent them on ahead to find a place that they might celebrate the Passover with him. And it was while they were celebrating the Passover in that upper room that uh, it was coming to the end of the, of the meal, And there was one piece of matzah left. There's usually three ceremonial pieces of matzah in a Passover. They got down to the third piece. And again Jesus tried to show them and tell them what was going to happen to him. And yet they did not really understand until after the resurrection what he was talking about. But he took that third piece of matzah and he broke it and he gave it to them and told them he said this represents my body after that he took the last glass of wine now (laughs) I don't know that it it was a glass a full glass of wine Uh, I've read in some uh, Jewish books uh, Jewish oriented books that it was the last sip of wine (laughs) taken out out of the one cup uh, out of the one wine glass or a cup so after he took the, the last glass of wine he blessed it as he had blessed the bread he blessed the wine and he gave it to them uh, and he uh, as a representation of his blood that he would shed for our sins and that brings us into the communion service if the, the service will come forward